Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health, with your hosts Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. kinds of movies not just art house films but we primarily deal with them uh today we'll be dealing with a passion um project of mine that is a movie from the mcu as i mentioned on the last episode of the podcast um kyle is the connoisseur and i just kind of eat uh the mcdonald's drive through of movies uh in terms of their artistic quality though i think there's something to um there's something to uh, the beauty of some of these movies as well. And so, anyway, today uh, we will be doing the promised spoiler-heavy Spider-Man No Way Home review. So, like I said um, earlier last week, I did post a spo- non-spoiler um, version of a review over Spider-Man, and so this episode is going to be spoiler-heavy. So if you have not seen Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, and you would like to be surprised when you go into the movie theater, uh, then quickly turn this off and go see that non-spoiler review posted um, last week also on the podcast. So this is your chance. Stop it now. There's going to be spoilers ahead uh, pretty shortly, actually. So uh, yeah, um, you'll need to pause that uh, or stop this right now. So you've been warned. Spoilers are ahead. Okay. All right. Like I said in the non-spoiler review, um, I uh, loved this movie. Um, And I think that, um, like, the reason I loved it is because this not only kind of brings to a conclusion the Tom Holland Spider-Man trilogy um, and kind of the character arc that he's been experiencing um, it definitely leaves it like there's going to be another one. Um, I know Sony and Marvel are wanting there to be more, uh, approximately three more. Uh, but if Tom Holland is to be believed, that's not as much of a certainty because he hasn't signed any new deals. I think um, his kind of coyness about the movies to people above my pay grade. Uh, but I loved it. it. But not only did it solve or kind of bring to a conclusion his character arc um, and set it on a new trajectory... It definitely also did that for the two other live-action Spider-Man, Spider-Man that we have had thus far, both that being Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. And so that's our first major spoiler of the podcast. They are back in this movie. I know there's a lot of debate on whether they were going to be in this movie. Um, but nonetheless, uh, it kind of brings their character arcs to a head as well. And so anyway... Um, I think that's why I liked it so much. A friend of mine put it this way, Endgame kind of brings to it like a satisfying fulfillment, the character arcs uh, back with Tony Stark and um, everything in 2008. 
uh, Spider-Man is even more satisfying because it brings to conclusion character arcs from like 2002, you know, with the first Spider-Man movie, uh, featuring the Spider-Man of that movie and also <laughs> the Green Goblin, one of the villains of that, the villain of that movie. And so, anyway, um, uh, yeah, so it's it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty great movie for that reason. Lots of nostalgia, but not just for that reason. There's there's some really good things in this movie, which we're gonna get into. I'm just gonna kind of go through the high points of the movie, things I like, talk a little bit about the um, idea of like uh, with great power comes great responsibility, which we finally got revealed in this movie to Tom Holland. He's never had that phrase said to him, um, and neither has uh, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, but he acts like it has, and so. Uh, we'll get to that in a bit, but um, the idea of redemption, which I think is a huge part of this, and then just kind of some speculations about where they're going to go from here. Uh, but anyway, so the movie starts right after Far From Home. Um, you don't really need to know a ton about Far From Home to get this, just the main high point of the fact that at the end of Far From Home, Mysterio um, revealed that Spider-Man is Peter Parker and then, you know, frames him for his murder. Um which, if you remember from Far From Home, is, is actually not true. Um, so anyway, um, that's the revelation. There's kind of some weird things that happen right after that. Like, you know, if you remember the end of that movie, um, Spider-Man is kind of like swinging MJ through New York. She hates it, and he kind of drops her off, and things like that. And he is about to leave when that um, news break happens. Well, right after that, this crowd of people swarms MJ, and so Spider-Man goes down to, like, you know, rescue her, for lack of a better term. They swing away. It's really it's really funny. Um, like, there's just this crowd of people that amass around him. It's like, oh, you killed Mysterio. Let's see that face. And she tries, like, this person tries to grab Spider-Man's mask, which I think is hilarious. But the more hilarious thing that I see is, like, when Spider-Man is, like, swinging away, like, he's, like, he, he does a web up, and he's, he's, like, going away, somebody dives after him to try to, like, grab his feet to keep him to the ground, it's actually really hilarious, like, who would think to do that, like, like, who do you think you're gonna stop, like, Sp Spider-Man's super strong, that's well established, right, and so you think you're just gonna, like, grab onto him and, like, keep him from going off the ground, like, how dangerous is that for you, but also for the other person there, so anyway, uh, they turn on him, rather quick so it's not the uh new york of uh, of uh, the amazing spider-man and uh, spider-man one um but anyway uh so basically that he goes home um it comes out all over the news he's taken to uh like uh precinct like uh, damage control which if you remember from spider-man homecoming is the organization that tony stark founded to help clean after clean up after major Avenger-like conflicts and things like that. And so they show up and arrest him and basically accuse him of murdering Mysterio and doing all this really bad stuff in London and everything like that. And here's where one of the first kind of major cool reveals and cameos happens. His lawyer, and a lot of people speculated about this, and it turns out they were right, his lawyer is none other than Matt Murdock himself, Daredevil. And not only Daredevil and Matt Murdock, but... Charlie Cox is back to play the role. If you know anything about Daredevil, you'll know that he played Daredevil in the uh, Netflix series, and he is back, and it's great, and there's this really great banter between um, Spider-Man and uh, um, and Daredevil, even though Spider-Man doesn't know that Matt Murdock is also Daredevil. Uh, Happy's there. It's really funny, um, because one of the things that happens is that the fact that the drones from Far From Home are Stark technology. Stark is kind of under investigation and so matt's like yeah you really need to get a good lawyer um uh and so it's interesting stark industries under fire in this movie um 
and I, you know, I have a theory. I think maybe this uh, this might be the case because they they spoil it later that um, uh, that there's no Oscorp in the MCU, and so I'm wondering if um, Stark Industries, under the kind of pressure of what happened in London, will cave, declare bankruptcy, and maybe get reorganized as Oscorp, which would be a really interesting way to introduce that into the world. Uh, nonetheless. Um, so Matt Murdock is there. Uh, he tells him to get a good lawyer. There's this really great scene, where, like part of this scene where uh, somebody throws a brick through Spider-Man's window, which is, you know, interesting enough because like they're on like the third floor of like a New York City kind of apartment complex, and so I don't know who's throwing that brick in from where, but they threw it. It's coming in hot, and Daredevil catches it right. And you know, obviously, like Daredevil, like when he enters the scene, he's got this like walking stick uh, that people who have um uh, vision problems used to help kind of help them kind of walk through um the street and everything like that and so that's they know he's blind but he catches this brick anyway and spider-man's kind of like wait how did you do that and he's like i'm a really good lawyer and so <laughs> it's great i'm excited for daredevil to be back and then for those of you who watched hawkeye last week the big reveal that vincent d'onofrio is coming back as the kingpin so uh, two of those Netflix shows characters are coming through. We can hope for some more. Um, I personally would love to see Jessica Jones uh, come back. I'd, I'd love also to see Luke Cage. I thought those were done really well. I think that Iron Fist got better in its second season. Um, and there were some characters that were a part of that that I very much like to see. Um, but Daredevil and Kingpin were kind of my two main people I wanted to see come over from that universe. Because there was speculation about whether or not that universe was um in another universe and um or like in a parallel dimension kind of like how agents of shield um is right now uh and that's kind of been confirmed because mockingbird is now uh clint barton's wife in the mcu it sounds like uh with that finale of hawkeye there um but uh nonetheless um uh in in agents of shield we had a um mockingbird character so anyway interesting stuff um really happy to see him um and uh matt murdoch's able to get all the jar charges dropped against peter which is a really important thing to keep in mind uh when considering what happens later part of this movie but matt murdoch being the great lawyer that he is is able to get all the charges dropped against them well the movie goes on because you know spider-man's been cleared of all those charges peter parker's free to go he applies for college just normal kind of high school stuff applies for all these schools um specifically mit is where he's wanting to go. It's kind of his dream school. Um, but he doesn't get in. And not only does he not get in, but MJ doesn't get in, and neither does Ned. And so they're all kind of upset and despair. And it's, like, it seems like the reason they're not getting into places is because of everything going on with Spider-Man and the controversy and things like that. Colleges don't really want to invite that chaos onto their campus. Um, again, interesting stuff. Really, really interesting stuff. Um, and so Spider-Man has this brilliant idea. He's going to go to Doctor Strange, have him go back in time and stop Mysterio from doing that. You know, Doctor Strange reminds him that he doesn't have the time stone anymore because Thanos destroyed them at the beginning of Endgame and the ones they used to bring everyone back were from the past. Um, and so he doesn't have those, but he decides he's going to use a spell to help everyone forget. Um, and this is really interesting, um, for a lot of reasons, um, like, obviously, like, there are no criminal charges against Peter Parker anymore. Daredevil got those dropped, right? However, Peter wants to kind of help get his friends in college. 
Um, and, you know, kind of the joke is that after they do the spell and it goes wrong, um, Peter realizes that he could plead his case to MIT. Uh, he didn't even think to do that. And so he ends up changing, like, the minds of people around the world, or wants to. He doesn't actually succeed in the spell. Uh, what happens is the spell is that Doctor Strange does the spell, and Peter kind of jumps into it. This is from the trailers, and kind of says, hey, these people should know, this person should know, this person should know. Um, and that messes up the spell. And so uh, it's really interesting. But there's a couple things going on here. I mean, it's he's, he's a kid. They're highlighting the fact that he's a kid, and he makes dumb decisions. But, like, Doctor Strange should know better than to do that. Like, I feel like Doctor Strange should have said, you know, hey, uh, like... Tough break, kid. I used to be a doctor. Now I do this, and yeah, tough luck. Maybe do do something better next year. Second of all, and one I, another reviewer pointed this out, and I think this is absolutely true. Like they could have chosen any college that they wanted to for Peter um, and his friends to go to, but they specifically MIT. And who's the most famous person to graduate from MIT in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? That's Tony Stark. Tony stark and i just feel like he had the option to like call it pepper Potts or even happy right and be like hey could you uh, uh put in a good word for me and i feel like they would be like yeah we'll buy you a new wing or you know whatever you know i mean it's stark industries they got a lot of money and, and i don't know it's just it seems like a giant gaping plot hole that he would do that with all these things in in his mind and he's a kid like obviously like he doesn't know that but dr strange should know better than to mess with that uh in order to do something so trivial it's like he should know better but nonetheless it happens the spell goes out he catches peter does um uh a uh mit um vice president for admissions as they're heading out of town which is really interesting um and it's in that point where he has the fight with dr octopus um and it's really interesting because this is um where the um where the movie kind of really starts to pick up. And so uh, Dr. Octopus must be like, and it is the Dr. Octopus from the amazing Spider-Man two. And it seems like it's the same Dr. Octopus that is about to build the machine right at the end of the movie. So he's still evil and still bad. And so it must be before that scene where Spider-Man's kind of giving the talk. It's like, we have to remain steady. We have to give up the thing that we love in order to serve humankind. And that's when he reveals. And so it has to be somewhere before that, um uh and before when he drowns himself because he's still like he says the last thing he remembers is that he's got spider-man by the throat um and then he was in this new reality um and so you know it's interesting i mean for a lot of reasons uh because if you watch that movie and again i feel like they should have at least watched that movie if they're going to make this kind of claim he doesn't know that Spider-Man is Peter until the moment when he's about to attack him, you know, because if you watch that movie back in amazing and not amazing Spider-Man two, in Spider-Man two, um, he says brilliant, but lazy, which is what Kirk Connor says to Otto about Peter Parker. And Otto is basically defeated at that point. Um, so I don't know if they took him from that point and then like he got better like he recovered and he's still mad and so he found out and that that has to be it for it to make any kind of sense but if they ripped him from that exact moment then he's not um you know angry Otto octavius anymore who's wanting to build that machine if they ripped him from before that then that's you know that has to be the only thing they can count so they have a pretty decent fight 
Um, the arms are a lot stronger than I remember. Like they're just kind of picking up cars and cement cylinders. Like they're nothing. But I think it's a pretty fun fight, specifically from the fact that like speed. Uh, Peter in this moment is wearing the Iron Spidey suit. And so it's kind of like his four extra limbs versus Otto's four extra limbs. And they have a pretty good fight and um, things like that. And uh, basically, Otto knocks the car of the vice president of MIT off the building. Spider uh, Peter saves him. But in that process, um, but in that process, like Otto catches Peter and he's going to stab him, right? And here's the part from the trailer that everyone kind of flipped out about is the fact that, like, when he rips off a piece of the. Um, uh, the nanotech suit, which is the Iron Spidey suit, um, it kind of adapts to Otto's arms. Now, I thought for sure, because a rumor for Spider-Man 2, like, way back when, was that Otto Octavius was going to say in that moment when he reveals the arms that they were actually um, developed by Stark Industries and they were going to introduce Tony Stark there. Because, you know, it's in that same universe that Raimi universe where you know for example J. Jonah Jameson references Doctor Strange who is in the MCU so you think that some of these characters would be over there but we find out later they are not um, but anyway they didn't do that so I thought for sure that was going to be the moment where Otto was like oh well this is Stark technology actually so uh, but they didn't so it adapts to it and the full reveals that uh, Tony I guess built a fail safe in that because uh, once the technology kind of like adapts itself to Otto's arm uh, he's able to, he being Peter, is able to take control of Otto's extra limbs. Um, uh, after this point, they're on the bridge. He kind of wraps them up in his arms because he's in control of them via Bluetooth on his Stark technology piece. Which interesting is that the suit is actually can't uh, connect to Edith or Stark Industries servers anymore. Again, I think that means it's all shut down and everything like that. So. Um, but they're on the bridge and there's an explosion that happens and in comes Green Goblin. But before Green Goblin can come and attack, um, Peter and Otto Octavius, Dr. Strange pulls them back to the sanctum. And so what the interesting thing that happens here is that Strange basically describes that, Hey, listen, um, we brought people here who are from other universes. Uh, and Peter says, Oh, the multiverse is real, which is what he said. And, um, you know, and, um, far from home, but now it's actually real <laughs> and things like that. So, um, he pulls them in, uh, apparently the spell pulled in all those people from the multiverse. And it's, it's interesting because, um, uh, Dr. Strange talks about how he caught the lizard from amazing Spider-Man two and brought him, or, or amazing Spider-Man one, sorry. I brought him there. And then here is Peter. He caught, um, Otto Octavius from amazing Spider-Man. Um, uh, sorry from Spider-Man 2. So you have the Lizard from Amazing Spider-Man and Otto Octavius from Spider-Man 2. And so um, Strange says, hey, you gotta go catch all these people. Um, this is a problem. You messed up my spell. And so you gotta fix this, bring them here, and then we'll send them all back together. Um, and so Peter brings in MJ and Ned, and they go out and start looking for people. The next interaction that Peter has with a um, villain is uh, Sandman and um is uh, sandman and um electro there we go uh electro they still haven't run into um green goblin yet but um what's interesting is that um and this is a shout out to whoever put the score together they used music subtly from all the different uh movies in kind of these moments and i you know if you hadn't just watched them you wouldn't notice but 
like for example when electro shows up in his original blue form he blasts peter uh and that you know that kind of like elect electronic like uh jokingly i've heard other people refer to as dubstep music starts playing when he blasts peter um interesting thing here is that sandman who is actually from spider-man 3 um protects peter and helps him catch mysterio um but he quickly um loses trust in this new spider-man because if you remember at the end of spider-man 3 um peter and him kind of have this moment of forgiveness and um he kind of like blows away in the wind but um uh when he uh he being spider-man in this universe captures uh, electro sends him back to the sanctum um the Sandman immediately is like, what'd you do that? Did you kill him? What, what's wrong with you? I don't trust you. I don't even know you. You're not the Spider-Man that I know. And and basically, uh, Peter sends him back to the Sanctum as well. And so, uh, currently in the Sanctum, you have Otto Octavius from Spider-Man 2, um, Electro from Amazing Spider-Man 2, the Lizard from Amazing Spider-Man 1, and um, you also have Sandman from Spider-Man 3, which means that Green Goblin is the only one missing, and he's also the one that completes the... Um, spider-man um villain set and so um anyway uh he he goes uh, he gets green goblin actually uh goes to uh like there's a scene of him in the alley with his little um his uh big mask and he he breaks it because if you remember anything from spider-man one that they present the green goblin characters it's like own like almost schizophrenic side of doctor strange and so he goes to aunt may's actually um non-profit feast um and she calls spider-man at peter and, and he comes to kind of like help uh get him and so he realizes after bringing them in and talking this this is you know throughout a couple scenes but come to find out that all these people or at least most of them know that he is both peter parker and spider-man no or knows that spider-man is peter parker even though none of them recognize this them uh, tom holland as their spider-man um, Dr. Octavius, when he sees, for example, on the bridge, Green Goblin, he actually comes, to, like, he's like, oh, well, he's dead. Um, and he should be dead. Like, he, he's very dead. And and when uh, Marco, um, uh, Flint Marco, uh, who's Sandman, uh, sees both Otto Octavius and, um, and the Green Goblin, he says, actually, both of you are dead. He says, I saw it. Because, again, that's in the same Raimi universe. Um what's interesting is that electro then uh comments being like oh i bet i almost died <laughs> um and there's this scene where um as a part of the same uh scene um uh, the lizard's asking because uh, it's you know it's kirk connors you know um he's asking um uh electro is like did i die and so there's this kind of panic all at once because um uh, they realize that three out of the five have acknowledged that they die um after fighting spider-man and so the assumption is um that all five of them die um interesting side point there's a kirk connors obviously in the raimi universe i would have loved if they would have explored that with otto and because uh, he's actually close friends with kirk connors in the raimi universe and, and here's the kirk connors from the amazing spider-man anyway like immediately when electro says no that's that's kirk connors uh he's a scientist from oscorp and all that kind of stuff like you should have had auto acknowledge like i know what kirk connors but you don't have time for everything i get it but i've seen a lot of people get all bent out of shape about the fact that not all these individuals actually die fighting spider-man like sandman and um 
a lizard don't because they're very much alive by the end of it. Um, but this moment, I think, highlighted that what the point the filmmakers were trying to get across is that there's an anxiety about it now because the individuals actually don't know if they're going to die when they're sent back to their universes um, at the moment when they were taken. Um, I mean, some of them definitely do. Dr. Octopus does. Green Goblin does. Electro does. Um, but not all of them do. And so, again, I, I don't feel like there's a reason to get bent out of shape about this because... I think they're just anxious because they think they might. They think they might. Like, um, Flint doesn't know if he's going back and dying. Lizard doesn't know if he's going to go back and dying, but he knows that a couple other of them are. And so, why wouldn't he? You know, that's not the biggest plot hole in this movie. We'll get to that a little bit later. Um, uh, but, nonetheless, that's kind of where we're at. And there's the big kind of scene from the, the trailers that you see is uh, Spider-Man steals this device that Doctor Strange is going to use to send all of them back to the moment when they were drawn out of the universe. And um, and Spider-Man steals it and tries to get away. Uh, Doctor Strange chases him. And I feel like he's just playing with him at this point. But Peter, being the brilliant young man that he is, he actually outsmarts him in his own game. He takes him into the mirror dimension. Um, and he uses, like, math and geometry to plot out the kind of, like, um, the shapes that are made by Doctor Strange's kind of magic. And catch him you know in the act and so he does that comes out of uh excuse me didn't mean to yawn there and comes out of the uh mirror dimension and he his objective because he doesn't want them all to die instead he wants to help them aunt may told him that you know you have a responsibility to help them and so he's going to take them back and you know cure them of kind of their evilness for lack of a better term for electro i mean sucking all the electricity out of his body for um Flint is about, you know, keeping him from, or helping him get not into his sand form. Lizard turning back from being a lizard. Um, you know, so on and so forth. All this good stuff. Um, now, um, here's where things start to pick up again. Basically, during this entire time, Osborne, who's this really prolific scientist on top of also being a villain, is helping Peter develop all of these cures and like i said it's a schizophrenic kind of thing with green goblin um and obviously otto octavius is helping too and so is uh otto, sorry otto octavius is also a prolific scientist so is kurt connors so is um a lecture i think the only one who really isn't is uh is sandman he's just kind of a criminal um but the only one that's really helping is norman and so um he ends up, though, going back into the Green Goblin state, which is, again, very interesting. Um, and it all falls through. Um, Peter's able to kind of get that inhibitor chip on the back of Otto Octavius's neck um, back installed, and so he controls the arms now. Um, but none of the other ones work. And Electro's like, I really love this power. He steals the arc reactor. Um from this machine that Peter's using to work with, which, you know, makes him exponentially stronger because he's pulling from this energy source. The arc reactor is huge. Um, it powers the Iron Man suit to do all the amazing things that it does, but also um, the arc reactor can is just endless energy. That's the whole theory behind it. So Sandman escapes, um, Electro escapes, uh, Lizard escapes. Um, Otto is kind of, like, knocked out of commission, and then there's this long extended fight between Peter and um, and Green Goblin, and it is 
brilliant. It is excellent. I mean, it's multiple floors. It is just raw and bitter. Like, you know, you have Peter who's just wailing on him. Like, and you've never seen Tom Holland fight someone like the Green Goblin before. Like, he fought the Vulture who was just, you know, upset at Tony Stark and stole stuff. Like, you know, um, whatever. And he fought Mysterio who's just kind of like a, like a, uh, an upset, angry scientist, but no one who's like truly crazy. He's never fought anyone that's like truly crazy. Um, even Thanos, for that matter, like he's a pretty rational person, but Green Goblin's just like off the rails. But he's just like wailing on him at certain points, just not phasing him at all. And he's just, you know, William Defoe is brilliant in this entire movie, but especially during this scene, he's just laughing maniacally as Peter's hitting him, um, and just you know takes him out and just really beats him up. Um, and then there's this really um this tragic scene aunt may tries to administer the cure doesn't work on uh uh on norman and norman actually uh, ends up like um bringing the glider and hitting aunt may with it um and peter you know saves her from a pumpkin bomb but the green goblin kind of flies away um on his glider and peter's kind of left there with aunt may and you know Aunt Peter's like, ah, I just, I messed up. I shouldn't have tried to save them. I should have just let Strange take them back. It's not my place to do this and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, Aunt May says, no, you were right to do it. And she basically, you know, gets, goes into speech and she's like, you've been given a great power and with great power comes great responsibility. And the theater that I was in, like, absolutely came unglued when she said that. Because, like, we've been waiting for this Spider-Man to hear those words he alludes to them a little bit in Civil War uh, when he talks about, like, if you have ability to stop the bad things from happening, and they do, then that's, you know, your fault. And um, he also, other, where, other places, alludes to uh, Uncle Ben being a source of those words. Um, but he never outright said it. I mean, that's one of the big kind of criticisms of, of both this Tom Holland Spider-Man, but also the, um, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man, uh, the Garfield version. Like, they never really say with great power comes great responsibility. And that phrase is, like, synonymous with Spider-Man. Um, you got this great scene in the Spider-Man movies, both in one and two, <coughs> where Uncle Ben talks to Peter about that brilliant stuff. Uh, but nonetheless, she says that and then immediately um, dies. And it's just this real tragic thing. I mean, Peter's lost so much. You know, he lost Uncle Ben before we meet him in the MCU. Um he then loses uh, Tony, who was kind of like this father figure for him, and that was a really emotional scene, as it was because, and you know, who knows if if uh, Happy or Pepper or somebody told Spider-Man that the reason why Tony agreed to the time heist thing was because of Peter, like, and because of Spider-Man. I don't, I don't know if he ever will find that out, but. You know, that's just, it's hard. It was a really hard, gut-wrenching scene. Um, you know, one of the scenes that made me really emotional in Endgame was was Tony telling Cap, like, I lost the kid. He's talking about Peter there. That's oh, it's just so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. Um, and now Peter loses Aunt May on top of that, and he, he, is, he is truly alone. He is truly alone. Um, and so he kind of... Like, that's where it kind of left off. It's, it was a really awful scene where damage control is coming in. They actually shoot him. Like, he gets hit in the shoulder, and Happy kind of prevents them from getting, you know, into the building before they can apprehend Spider-Man. He kind of escapes the rooftop of his high school. Um, next scene, this is, again, one of the more 
I think helpful uh, piece is that uh, the uh, uh, is that at, like Ned and, and MJ are kind of sitting in Ned's kitchen. Uh, Spider-Man basically after he stole the little device that sends everyone back, he gave it to MJ and says, "Hey, if you don't hear from me, hit this button." Um, and um, so they're just waiting there. They haven't heard anything. They're seeing on the news that somebody has died at this like explosion down at Happy's apartment, which is where they were at at the time when they were trying to fix all the stuff. Um, and one of the things that's really interesting is early in this movie, Ned kind of is like probing Doctor Strange with questions about magic. And uh, Ned's like, yeah, my family always says that they, they have magic within them. And so Ned is actually able to open up a portal. He says, I really wish we could see Spider-Man. And he actually ends up opening up a portal um, to Spider-Man or to Peter Parker, but it's not Tom Holland. It's Andrew Garfield. Um, again, theater comes unglued at this point cause you know, he's in there and it seems like he was pulled over along with the villains. Uh, Ned does it again after a really fun sequence. Uh, but really quick, Andrew Garfield kills it in this movie. He is just fantastic. I mean, like he, he acts like circles around everyone else he's got more charisma than any of the other spider-man he's funny he's charming he's still got the quips you know like that was the thing i always loved about andrew garfield spider-man is that he was just really quippy as spider-man right um like i, I always remember like the scene where he's like uh beating up that carjacker and the guy whips out his knife and, and uh, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man is like, oh no, you found my weakness. It's small knives. And it's just, it's so funny. Um, but that version of Spider-Man is just so, so good. Um, even though he doesn't have the best movies, he is so on point. And he really loved that character. Like, loved that character. Playing Peter Parker, being Spider-Man and things like that. And so, like, he, I always felt bad for him because he kind of ended on a unsatisfying note. I mean... The last we saw his Spider-Man, like, he had just lost Gwen Stacy. You know, he had just been through it. Lost his parents, lost Uncle Ben, you know, lost Gwen Stacy. Gwen Stacy lost her dad. And so, you know, their relationship was never really fun because they always had this kind of thing in the background. And so, you know, him getting to come back feels like a redemption for that character because um, he didn't really get to explore all the things he really wanted to explore with that. And maybe... I've heard rumors that they're going to pick up with some Andrew Garfield Spider-Man um, Spider stuff, either with the Venomverse or um, maybe do Amazing Spider-Man 3. I've heard a couple different things like that. It's all speculation rumors at this point. Until someone announces something, you know, who knows. Um, I would be in for all of that. Sign me up. Because he just, he didn't need to. Like, I mean, he could have just shown up and given minimum effort in this movie because of how... Um, he was treated after Amazing Spider-Man 2, but he shows up and he just kills it. Um, and I mean, I like, I love Tom Holland and I love Tobey Maguire, who's also in this movie. And I think they do great too. I think Tobey Maguire came back for the fans as well. And he's charming and lovely and, and really great um, as well. But like Andrew Garfield just like outshines everyone in this movie and how awesome he is. Um, but anyway, so Ned opens up, tries again, he's like, I want to see Peter Parker, and then it's Tobey Maguire, um, who comes in, and there's this really awkward kind of fight scene between Toby and, and Andrew, and they kind of shoot webs at each other, it's real great, it's real great, um, and then they find out, like, we really need to go see your Peter, 
uh, because we think we can help him. Um, and it kind of reminds me of, and it's one of my favorite scenes in Into the Spider-Verse, which is about Miles Morales. There's, there's a great scene where he loses his uncle, right? Because uh, the Prowler is his uncle, who's actually in the MCU. He's played by Donald Glover. Um, like, But in the Miles Morales Into the Spider-Verse, the Prowler, um, who is Miles Morales' uncle, is tasked with hunting down the new Spider-Man. And he hunts him down and finds out it's actually his nephew. And he refuses to kill him. And so the Kingpin in that universe kills him instead. And so um, there's just this really emotional scene where... Um, where uh, as he's dying, the Prowler says to Miles Morales, you know, you're the best of us. Like, um, you're on your way. Um, it's really powerful. But more powerful than that is once all the other Spider-Men in that movie find out, Peter B. Parker, the uh, Spider-Man Noir, the, you know, Spider-Pig, all those characters, Spider-Gwen, come and visit him and they talk about all the people that they've lost. You know, like some of them have lost an Uncle Ben. Uh, some of them have lost... Uh, you know, Peter Parker, Spider-Gwen lost Peter Parker, some lost their dad, you know, that kind of thing. And and Spider-Pig has this really brilliant line where he says, Pete, he says, Miles, he says, the thing about being Spider-Man, about doing this job is that you can't save everyone. And like, that's so true. Um, and if you just think about the, not only just Spider-Man lore, right, you know, Spider-Man's lost a lot just in the comic books, but if we just look at the the five live action movies and then also the two um uh two mcu movies right um uh these these spider-man lose a lot i mean i mean i the joke around andrew garfield is like how much more can this guy take um loses his parents like they sh they show that in the movies they he loses his uncle ben i mean like i said the worst person to be cast as is uncle ben um he loses um gwen stacy you know, I mean, he loses his best friend, Harry Osborn. I mean, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, same thing. Loses Uncle Ben dramatically. Um, has on-again, off-again relationship with um, Mary Jane Watson. Um, he loses his Harry Osborn, version of Harry Osborn, which is, I think, really powerful for him, again, to lose that. And I mean, Tom Holland loses Uncle Ben before he meets him. Um, loses Tony Stark. Um and loses Aunt May. And, you know, these people closest to Spider-Man are the people that, for some reason, Spider-Man can't seem to save. And it's just heartbreaking. It's hard. It's one of the most powerful kind of emotional things. I mean, say what you will about The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I feel like they capture the that moment where, Spy where Gwen Stacy dies just so well. Um, right? And so... Uh, yeah, it's just, it's it's a powerful scene in Into the Spider-Verse, and that's kind of what they're mimicking here, because MJ takes these two Spider-Men from different universes to the Peter Parker from the MCU. Um, and, uh, you know, at first, Tom Holland's Spider-Man is very much like, um, you don't understand what it's like to be me, you don't know what it's like to lose, I want to, you know, harm these people and all this kind of stuff, and I just want to be really you know i just I, I want you to leave me alone and go back to where you came from but mj's kind of reluctant to let um peter parker send them back because um because she really thinks that he needs to hear what they have to say and basically they launch into this like thing about how they're saying like i i've lost two like i've lost uncle ben i've lost gwen i've lost 
Harry. I've lost all these people. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, there's nothing that's going to make that any better. And they kind of warn him. They're like, you know, I, we got bitter after we lost our people. And so don't become bitter. Don't be that guy. Um, you know, and again, it's just, I mean, I, maybe it's just because I was in a very vulnerable place when the amazing Spider-Man came to, came out, amazing Spider-Man two came out. Like I, that relationship between him and Gwen, I always felt a lot more than I did, uh, Mary Jane Watson and Toby Maguire Spider-Man. Um, I always felt that more. So when she died, I just, I felt that like, even just the way they shot that scene, like the little, the web coming out of Andrew Garfield's web shooter. Um, and it, taking the shape of a hand trying to reach out and grab her is just it's just hard you know and things like that and so um this is the moment where they finally connect and peter talks about how when may was dying she said you know with weight with great power um and then toby Maguire says comes great responsibility um and that kind of shocks tom holland's spider-man because he's like how'd you know that and he's like my uncle ben said that to me when he was dying um which is something I'd hoped for in this movie. Like, I hope that that phrase would come to Tom Holland. And I had thought, and I thought in the best possible world, um, Tobey Maguire, if he came over, would say this to um, Tom Holland. But <laughs> here's the thing that's so cool, is that I like actually the way they did it better. I love that that was what Aunt May said, that she gets to kind of sit in the role of... Uh, uncle ben and kind of being that kind of moral center towards who spider-man's gonna be but um that kind of immediately establishes this trust um between um toby mcguire and tom holland <laughs> and, and andrew garfield says that yeah his uncle ben said that too uh but <laughs> it's, it's you know he he didn't say that that's not what uncle ben said in the amazing spider-man um he said something the fact was like if you have the ability to do things and you have to do those things. Uh, responsibility, all that kind of good stuff. Like, it's it's not the same. And again, I don't know why they're allergic to that phrase outside of the Maguireverse. It doesn't make any sense. But anyway, um, they decide that uh, they are going to continue what Aunt May wanted them to do and heal the characters. Um, and... Uh, they go to the high school, basically the three of them, and they do science stuff. And yet again, I mean, here's the point with Maguire. Like, Maguire's still in, like, Spider-Man suit minus the mask. Uh, not Maguire, sorry. Uh, Garfield. He's in Spider-Man suit minus the mask. Uh, Maguire's wearing, like, they say, like, later, make a joke about him being a cool youth pastor. Uh, he's just wearing kind of, like, normal street clothes. And I, I think that was great, because if, if you watch those movies back, it's very much that like Maguire spent a lot of his time just in street clothes and he did actually a few battles in street clothes alone. He kept the spider suit under it, but, um, Maguire spent most of the time in the suit. Right. So I love that they paid attention to that detail, but they take, you know, like they're going to like solve like how to heal, um, uh, the different characters. Um, one of the things that, uh, Maguire says to Holland is like, you may want to kill the person that killed, aunt may but it won't bring you peace and he he kind of recounts how he did that like after the bone saw fight he hunts down um i guess twice in a certain sense once in spider-man 3 and once in um spider-man 1 um he hunts down the guy who he thinks kills uncle ben and accidentally throws him out a window and then you know in spider-man 3 flint marco is the guy that he hunts down to kill um who he thinks kills uncle ben and so again it's it's really interesting to see how that theme comes up and he's trying to tell peter's like that's not going to make you feel any better you know it's not gonna give you any peace and so 
yeah so uh they go to the high school like his his high school and they decide they're gonna fix all the cures because one of the things that happened is when um may kind of gathers together like all the different things back to the apartment before she runs into the goblin um the goblin breaks all of them so they gotta fix them <laughs> and there's this great scene with garfield coming back to that point he's just he's wearing like the full spider suit with a like a like a lab coat on and he's just like yeah i'll, I'll heal the lizard like i've done it before i can do it again so we do it's just it's just hilarious um uh, uh toby mcguire decides he's gonna do the green goblin serum um uh, and then holland is gonna fix the the one uh device for electro um and also the devices for um sandman um and uh yeah the those those are the only two and so they fix them and they're just sitting there doing science stuff which is fun you know they're they're kind of pelting each other with questions and things like that like this is where you find out that toby Maguire actually made it work with mj they kind of left off in a real tentative place in spider-man 3 and it sounds like they're together like it's complicated but they make it work and so that's cool to kind of see that they're still together. You also find out that uh, Andrew Garfield never really moved on from Gwen Stacy, which is really sad. I was really hoping that there would be like an end credit scene where you would see not only like Maguire, you know, hopefully like with MJ having kids. And I'd love to see Kirsten Dunst come back and actually show what that looks like. But you'd also see Andrew Maguire maybe meet um, MJ in his universe because... If you know anything about The Amazing Spider-Man, it was kind of in a mess of a movie, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, there's a lot of stuff in there that didn't end up in it, even though the movie was already way overpopulated with stuff. Um, and one of the things is that they were going to introduce Mary Jane Watson um, as uh, Shailene Woodley was going to play her. They, there's actually, you can find them on like YouTube and the internet. Um, they've actually released some of the footage of like her um, like working in a cafe, seeing Spider-Man swing by, or... Um, those two meeting kind of randomly and so she was going to be the mj in amazing spider-man 3 so i was hoping that they would come back to that but they didn't and we'll talk about end credit scenes here in a bit um uh you know one of the other things that's really funny is uh ned asks both garfield and um mcguire like did they have a best friend and they both did harry osborne and both of them tried to kill them and so ned's kind of like oh god <laughs> am i gonna try and kill um this like spider-man and it's it's really great because actually ned leeds in the comic books becomes the hobgoblin one of spider-man's worst enemies and so that's kind of ironic and funny and all that good stuff but <coughs> excuse me um that's really great um uh you know toby mcguire encourages andrew garfield to try and seek love again and do more peter parker stuff and less spider-man stuff um all all, all good stuff but Anyway, they're ready to go. Um, they go into battle. Again, this is like one of the best scenes. All of them suiting up together. Um, they have great banter. You know, uh, they go through this really funny exchange. We're talking about the fact that clearly Tobey Maguire doesn't need like wrist shooters and everything. And, and uh, like Holland and Garfield kind of like, are like, yeah, this is really annoying and really tedious that we have to make our own web fluid and you don't have to. And that's really helpful. They talk about, you know, like, do you ever have like a web block or anything? Which is actually the scene that leaked online of Maguire. Like, in this um in this scene and you know toby talks about like all the stuff that he did and um or like all the existential crises that he experienced in spider-man 2 um uh, holland kind of asked them like who are some of the craziest villains you fought and 
Um, but yeah, he kind of met them all, which is, yeah, I think this is one of the more annoying things too, is like they, they kind of didn't really go into really much of what it was like for them after their respective movies. Um, Garfield kind of talks about how he went, got bitter and like stopped pulling his punches. And so maybe <laughs> Spider-Man becomes like a mass murderer and, the amazing Spider-Man universe because he, you know, is punching as hard as he can and all that kind of stuff. Maybe that is true, but you don't really see a lot of what happens. Uh, the only one that Maguire really talks about is Venom and his universe, um, which we'll get to Venom getting pulled over into this universe, the Tom Hardy version, here in a minute. But um, which I think was interesting that they they put that in there. I think it was good, but nonetheless, it put it in there. Um, so they go into the fight. They have uh, they have a hard time. Uh, basically, uh, to, like Tom Holland's character uh, goes on the Daily Bugle site and you know calls out all the villains and things like that. Um, they come to the Statue of Liberty, uh, which is being fitted with the Captain America shield, which is pretty awesome. And kind of just seeing them fight each other's villains. Like there's something about seeing like you know Tobey Maguire fighting. Um, Electro and, and Andrew Garfield fighting um, uh, Green Goblin, who comes in a little bit later in this fight, or uh, and then also just seeing you know Tom Holland fighting the Lizard and things like that. It's just it's it's really cool. Um, the fight doesn't go super well. That's when um, like they kind of like have to regroup and basically they're like, yeah, we've never really fought in a team before. And that's when Tom Holland's like, hey, listen, I'm a part of the Avengers. I don't mean to brag. And they're like, yeah, that's great. What's the Avengers? <laughs> so uh, it shows that there's no other heroes in their universes, at least yet. Um, and it's just a really funny exchange because he kind of tries to explain what it is. And Tobey Maguire's like, how is this helping? Um, <laughs> so uh, they decide that they're going to start coordinating their attacks better. There's this really wonderful fight scene in the shop, just like the three Spider-Men kind of leaping at lizard electro and sandman respectively they end up healing him things like that um and after they kind of heal not only um uh not only uh, like they heal the lizard um sandman and uh electro um with the help of dr octopus uh, that's when green goblin shows up and he uh has the and dr strange for that matter he ends up actually blowing up the box that they we're going to use to send everyone back. Um, and the significance of that is this. Um, the inside of the box was actually the original spell that Dr. Strange tried to do. Uh, when it was going haywire, he basically contained it in this little uh, little bulb and things like that. And so blowing it up released it out. And so it caused all these cracks in reality. So Dr. Strange immediately goes to take care of that i mean that's one of the things that's really interesting is you've got dr strange here he, he could have easily defeated all these people but basically with like a snap of his wrist of his hand or sorry um and uh you know he's he's preoccupied with other stuff and so that leaves the spider-man to, to fight green goblin um who's left and you know obviously one spider-man has defeated one green goblin and so um you know it's fine he actually ends up taking out Oct like dr Oct dr octopus right there um, one of the pieces from the trailers, this is actually the scene where MJ falls off of the scaffolding of the Statue of Liberty and she's falling to the ground and, um, Holland like dives after her, but right before he can catch her is when the Green Goblin kind of takes him out. And this is my favorite scene by far from the entire movie. Garfield actually, his Spider-Man jumps off the Statue of Liberty and actually catches MJ, um, which is kind of this moment of redemption for his character which I think is just beautiful. I think it's just beautiful. Um, because, like, you can see it meant a lot to his Peter Parker, like, that he caught her. 
right? He caught the MJ. Um, like, he caught the love interest of Spider-Man. Like, that mattered to him in a way that was really important. Um, it was just, it was really beautiful. I just really liked it. Um, uh, after that, you know, Peter Parker, Holland, like, he starts fighting Green Goblin. He's mad, you know, and he just he starts wailing on him. And he's about to, like, crush him with his own glider. And... Uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man stops him, which again is a kind of redemption point for his piece of the puzzle. Like you know, he killed the guy who killed Uncle Ben, and he knows that that didn't help, and so he um, stops Holland from doing that. Um, and I think that's just it's just really powerful, and it's really interesting. Like this is the point where uh, uh, the Green Goblin stabs uh, Maguire. Um, Garfield throws the cure for Goblin at Holland. Holland stabs the Goblin with the cure, and he's cured and he's safe. He's fine. And, and Garfield comes over to the to McGuire and He's like, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" He's like, "Yeah, I've been stabbed before. It's fine." And so, which is kind of funny and amusing, but still, like, why even do that? I don't know. Like, I would have liked to have seen maybe one final fight between McGuire and uh, Green Goblin would have been cool. I would like to have seen a lot more fighting of these individual character, like individual Spider Men, more than they were, but. I, that's not the point. Them being together was enough, and it was really great. Um, just kind of few clips until we get to the end. Um, uh, you know, the the point is like the breaks in the universe are getting worse, and all these people who are Spider-Man villain are coming through. Like you see outlined in the sky, the Rhino. Um, you see another Doctor Octopus. You see um, Craven the Hunter, which is an Easter egg because originally this movie was supposed to be about Craven the Hunter, but they scrapped it after the success of the Spider-Verse movies and, um, uh, made it into this. And again, I'm glad they did, but again, it's, it's such a, such a good movie. And so, um, there's no way to reverse the spell. He can't do the original spell. Um, and instead he says, can you help, can you make it to where everyone forgets that Peter Parker exists, which somehow fixes the issue. Um, and so that would prevent it. So basically everyone forgets that Peter exists, you know, everyone, literally everyone, including we find out like, I guess all of his like high school records are, um, erased because he has to like <laughs> work on the GED. You see him doing that later. Um, but this includes MJ and Ned. And so this successfully sends all the Spider-Men back to their universe, all the villains back to their universes. And we don't know if they're about to go back to die again, or if they're maybe put into the present, um, I'm hoping that they revisit this Spider-Verse thing in live action again, because I just thought it worked so well. The three of them had such great chemistry together. And like I said, Garfield was just amazing. So, um, Holland goes in and, and tries to sh tell MJ who he is, because she makes him basically promise, like, you need to come tell me um, who you are, and all that kind of stuff. And he decides not to do that. There's this really interesting scene where he decides not to do it. And I'm, I'm kind of torn on what I think about that. Like, Clearly, he's learned from the other two Spider-Men. Uh, the first thing that they say when coming through the portal is like, hey, um, <laughs> you know, the, if you tell people who you are, you basically are kind of defeating the whole purpose of an anonymous superhero thing. And so, I think Peter, like, listens to that. And so, he decides that he's not going to tell anybody and actually kind of helps. Um, I think it helps in a lot of really powerful ways. Um his imagination but at the same time he doesn't give them a choice right and that's a part of it too like like garfield doesn't give gwen stacy a choice in knowing her like her, she dies not because 
of anything that Garfield does because she made a choice that she wants to help Spider-Man. Same with Kirsten Dunst's and Mary Jane Watson. She wants to be with Spider-Man. And in Spider-Man 2, she says this, like, Maguire says to her, he's like, you know why we can never be together. Spider-Man's going to have enemies. And as long as I he has enemies, like, um, you'll never be safe. And so these Spider-Men also have a flaw in that they don't allow the people that love them to choose. And so I think that's that's a problem. But nonetheless, um, really great stuff here. Um, he decides not to do it. He decides to build his, his own spider suit. One of the things that's really interesting is one of the critiques in this Spider-Man, and I, I mentioned this in the non-spoiler review, is that, um, you know, he's kind of not like the other Spider-Man. Like, they build their suits by sewing them together with a sewing machine, right? Um, Tom Holland's first, I mean, second suit, I guess, technically, but his first kind of, like, Spider-Man suit was made by Tony Stark, like, literally the guy who's a billionaire. And all of his suits subsequent to that have been made by either Tony Stark himself or Stark Technology. And so he didn't really feel like Spider-Man. Spider-Man kind of is like this scrappy neighborhood guy who's got to, like, sew together his suit, and every time it rips, he's got to fix it, you know? Uh, Maguire's Spider-Man, like, really did this well because you could, like, see the holes in it, like, at any given time. It wasn't a perfect thing. Um, but at the end of this movie, like, basically he starts renting out his apartment. Um, it was pointed out to me that this is the same apartment that um, he and Aunt May had in Homecoming. Um, and there's no way the landlord would remember that because... Um, uh, because, you know, they don't know who Peter Parker is, right? Um, like, even Happy doesn't even know who Peter is. No one does. And so he just kind of anonymously checks into this apartment, and he, um, st he sews together, it looks like, a Spider-Man costume, which looks like it's kind of the perfect blend of both of the other two Spider-Men um, into one costume, and so he's made his own costume now, and so he doesn't look like he's wearing a piece of Stark technology. Um, and yeah, so he's he's perfectly alone. He's isolated. He's singular. Um, MJ doesn't know. Ned doesn't know. It's just, it's really interesting. I'm curious to see where this is going to go. The reason I think he ultimately decides not to tell um, Ned and MJ is the fact that they both get into MIT without the, this being a friendship with Peter Parker, right? Spider-Man. And so he feels like their future is better off without him. Which, again, I hate. <laughs> I hate. I, I hate that he makes that decision for them, but at the same time, you can't deny the fact that um, he feels like he needs to be Spider-Man. In a world where we're losing heroes, right? Uh, no Black Widow, no Iron Man, no Captain America. He feels this responsibility, you know, with great power comes great responsibility he has to be spider-man um but he feels like and i guess doesn't learn the lesson of the other two spider-men that you know this involves being with people too and you know this uh we'll get into this here in a second but you know this gets into this idea of like with great power has great responsibility it's kind of like a super kantian kind of moral drive right and i think that one of the things that is most dissatisfying to me is, is that kind of Kantian paradigm there. I love the great power comes great responsibility, but in essence, you know, especially with Peter, um, it comes with this almost kind of lack of consideration of people. In some sense, you think that you are by making the decisions for them, but that's not how one relates to people in a community. You know, and so 
this this kind of ethics of autonomy which makes decisions for others itself is deeply flawed and so I, I i challenge this assumption because this kind of like what kind of person is peter becoming who is encouraging him to live the best virtues of himself he can't do it alone he needs one of the things that's interesting about this movie that it really actually comes forward is that he needs mj he needs ned to help him and the people you love are always going to be in harm's way um but they have a right to be able to shape and like to make those decisions for themselves but it's not all about autonomy. They make each other better. They make each other better. I think that's something that needs to be considered. This kind of communal um, relationship to ethics. Um, it's not just the, the superhuman, right? The ubermensch or um, the Kantian figure. It's not that. Um, anyway, so... Um, just kind of uh, wrapping it up here, the last scene is him kind of flying through the city um, like as Spider-Man. looks like to be around Christmas time. Um, post credit scenes. Uh, first one is with Venom. He's there with uh, Danny Rojas himself from uh, Ted Lasso um, at a bar kind of just like getting his handle on the universe that he's in. And he's, you know, asking questions about the Avengers and all that stuff. And he gets up, he's like, I'm going to go meet this spider-man and he, he actually gets drawn out of the universe and this is i think the bigger plot hole than the um are people going to go back and be killed like the to the that people i've drawn up i think is really important because <laughs> if people were brought over from other universes that um knew peter parker was spider-man spider-man right um and then also were people who died fighting spider-man it seems like it would have been better if you would have brought in Topher Grace's Venom because he knew that Peter Parker was Spider-Man and also died fighting Spider-Man. I think the reason that we got Tom Hardy here was that he, um, he was, uh, um, just a fan. He's a fan favorite. Those Venom movies are making a ton of money, making a ton of money. Um, but I don't know. I just, this was silly to me because you made this big deal at the end of Venom, let there be carnage um that that's that venom wasn't coming over to be a part of this universe and before he can go to new york to meet peter parker and spider-man he actually gets drawn in a way back into his own universe and so it it doesn't even matter the only thing that this scene actually sets up is that a piece of the venom suit is left behind right and it moves there at the end of it looks like it's probably gonna they're probably gonna do a um venom in the mcu so there's gonna be two venom now um which again i i mean eventually i think they're gonna have peter parker fight the tom hardy venom which makes no sense because again th there's no like ill will in that person's in that venom's body but i don't know it's sony i i just think they wanted tom hardy to be in this one and they tried to figure out how they could do it people also just love tom hardy so i think that's why He's in it. Um, the second end credit scene at the end was a trailer for um, uh, Doctor Strange's new movie, The Multiverse of Madness, which we don't need to get into here, but it looks like a lot of interesting things there. I'm, I've been told uh, by various sources that this um, movie looks to be, uh, or looks to have, more cameos even than this one is. Many cameos is there on this one. I've, I've heard everything from like some of the older X-Men 
making an appearance to even Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield also making appearances. But the return of um, Scarlet Witch uh, with Elizabeth Olsen is in there. Uh, and a few other characters. Mordo's back and that kind of thing. And also the dark Doctor Strange from What If. So interesting stuff. Well, before we kind of like um, uh, conclude here, I did want to talk about two themes I talked about in the no, no spoiler version. First is redemption. Both Garfield and Maguire get to undo a past mistake. Maguire gets to stop Spider-Man from killing the person who killed um, uh, Uncle Ben, Aunt May, because he knows that that leads to only bit bitterness and anger. Um, and I think that this gets at that theme I was talking about from that article that I read about mourning of like, does God mourn possible futures? Right. Cause there's all like every road taken is a dozen roads, not taken. Every choice leads to a thousand other choices that we don't make. Um, and the question asked in this article is, is whether or not it is appropriate to mourn the future that we did not get to experience. And in some sense, like, you know, Andrew Garfield, his Spider-Man wanted to grow old with Gwen Stacy and be around her and be with her. But that was, that's not what's going to happen. So him mourning that future seems to be perfectly reasonable. Um, same with Tobey Maguire, you know, the uncle Ben situation, he mourns the fact that he had to say goodbye to uncle Ben in that way. And so would, you know, Garfield, I'm not saying that they wouldn't. And in some sense, like, when we look at these things, because it's more personal, and maybe you, whoever is listening to this, the, the five of you who listen to this podcast, um, maybe one of the things that's really interesting to think about is all the different decisions that you didn't get to make in your life or for one reason or another chose not to take and all the futures that you could have had. I know myself, there's all these different futures that I envisioned for myself younger that did not come to be. Um, in a lot of ways, I mourn that. Uh, you know, and, and they could be anything for you. They could be past relationships. They could be, um, you know, jobs you didn't take, schools you didn't go to, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think we've all got that. I've got that. Um, and so what do, what do we do with that pain, that grief, that we really don't have anywhere to take it because, you know, there's no way to go back and fix that. There's no magic time stone that's going to take us back to that moment and fix the mistakes that would hopefully lead to the future that we envision for ourselves. Um, and... And I, I, I turned back to, and I, I had to go grab this um, before I did this podcast, because there's there's just this great line from this book um, called Housekeeping, which I hope that, um, uh, that you would um, read. It's, it's by Marilyn Robinson, who is just a great, great, great author. Um, and she is a fantastic um just like wordsmith and she writes this book called housekeeping um which is about this family that experiences all kinds of tragedy in a town that experiences all kind of tragedy where there's this lake right in the center where all these really bad things have happened and it's just it's it circles around these kind of this family that's trying to kind of piece their lives back together and figure about where they're going to go and finally in the end they decide they're going to become vagabonds the only way to uh experience suffering is is just not to be too attached to any one place or time but to also to leave the town that we're in um but she has this great line and i just want to read it to you real quick because i think it gets at exactly what i see in this movie and i want to just read you like a section of this because you really got to get at this the heart of this basically 
these two granddaughters are kind of going through this old house uh, filled with their grandmother who had um, uh, who had passed some time ago. Um, and they're kind of reflecting on finding all this like junk. You know that like junk drawer that you have with all this stuff that just doesn't make any sense like why it's together. Like they just they stumble on that in their grandmother's house. And so I just want to read this um, this passage just so you can see it's a little lengthy. And so um, so just bear with me. But I think this is worth reading. But my grandmother had kept in the bottom drawer of the chest of drawers a collection of things: memorabilia, balls of twine, Christmas candle, and odd socks. Lucille and I used to delve into this drawer. It contains were its con contents were so randomly assorted, yet no soon, yet so neatly arranged that we felt some large significance might be behind the collection as a whole. We noted that the socks, for example, all appeared unworn. And there were shot glasses with two brass buttons that seemed improper. Um, there were faded wax angels, the smell of bayberry, a black velvet pin cushion, and the shape of a heart in a box with San Francisco jeweler's name on it. Uh, there was a shoebox full of old photos and four patches of black felty paper on the back. These had clearly been taken from a photograph album because they were especially significant, or else they would not, uh, or else they would not have been. Uh, none of them was a person or a place that we knew. Many were formally dressed gentlemen posing in front of a rose uh, arbor. In this box, I found page two of a brochure. It seemed the obvious significance. It was a slick and heavy like page from National Geographic, and it was folded in a third like a letter. At the top of the page was printed tens of millions in Honan province alone. Then uh, there was a photograph. One showed a barefoot boy standing in stark sunlight squinting at the camera. Another showed a barefoot man squatting against the wall, his face in the shadow of a large hat. Another showed a young woman feeding a baby from a cup. And the fourth was a three old women standing in a row, shading their eyes in their hands. The fifth was of a squinting girl and a thin pig. The pig was not facing the camera. And at the foot of the page was printed in italics, I will make you fishers of men. This document explained my Aunt Molly's departure to the whole of my satisfaction. Even now, I always imagine her leaning from the low side of a small boat, dropping her net through the uh, spummy billows of the upper air. And her net would sweep and turning around, and unremarked as the wind and the grass, and when she began to pull in it, perhaps a pell-mell ascension of formal gentlemen and thin pigs and old women and old socks that would astonish this lower world, she would gather the net so easily, until the very burden of itself lay in a heap just under the surface. One last pull of the measured, measureless power that would cease that would spill her catch into the boat, gasping and amazed, gleaming rainbows in the rarest light. Such a net, such a harvest, would put an end to all anomaly. If it would sweep the whole floor of heaven, it must finally sweep the black floor of Fingerbone, too. From there, we must imagine there would arise a great army of Paleolithic and Neolithic frequenters of the lake, berry gatherers and hunters and strayed children from those all subsequent eons down to the earliest present, to the faith-healing lady in the long white robe um, who rode a quarter of a mile out and tried to walk back again just at sunrise to the farmer who bet five dollars one spring that the ice was still strong enough for him to gallop his horse across add to them the swimmers the boats boaters the canoers in such a crowd my mother would hardly seem remarkable there would be a general there would be a general reclamation a rec reclaiming of fallen buttons and misplaced spectacles of neighbors and kin till the time and error and accident were undone and the world would become comprehensible and whole. 
Sylvie said that, in fact, Molly had gone to work as a bookkeeper in the missionary hospital. Uh, for why do our thoughts turn to some gesture of hand, the fall of a sleeve, some corner of a room, particular anonymous afternoon, even when we asleep, um, <clears throat> uh, and even when we are so old that our thoughts have abandoned other business? What are all these fragments for, if not to be knit up, finally? To me, that's a, a great passage and again like Fingerbone is the name of the town all those people on that lake are the ones who fell in because they got out on the ice or the swimmers who lost track of time and drowned or their mom who actually drowned herself by driving their car into it you know it's an interesting story but I think it applies here as Spider-Man because in some sense like the Gwen Stacy's of the world the Uncle Ben's of the world right they feel like just such secondary figures right um, but they're important, right? All these anomalous figures that they talk about in this book um, will be reclaimed. And so heaven is something of this great reclamation, right? It's this ability to do what we couldn't do in our lives, to enjoy that future that we didn't get to enjoy, uh, sprung out into all eternity. My hope is for that, to enjoy that future that I had hoped for myself, that you would enjoy that future that you hoped for yourself. Um, because in some sense, that's what I see when Garfield dives and catches MJ. It's him doing that act over again with different results. We are not meant to toil in our worst moments forever, but they will be healed and reclaimed and brought into the very presence of God in a way that we can't quite put to words yet. And for me, that's the power of the moment with Garfield and Maguire, for that matter, where he stops Holland from killing um, uh, Green Goblin. Because these things um, will be reclaimed. Um, this great hook will draw these things out. <laughs> um, and it'll scrape this net of God's saving work, will scrape the bottom of the finger bones of the world. Um, and will draw it up in a heap into the boat of eternal life. And I think that's important. Uh, the last piece is um, fate, right? You sense here that fate is not fixed. It feels fixed in uh, um, it feels fixed in, in the other Spider-Man, but here and this is why I think it brings perfectly to close this this narrative. Like they are able to shift the narrative for Spider-Man and Spider-Man. In years past, they they kill the person who kills Uncle Ben. They they regret it, and then the, their loved one dies. That isn't what happens here. Um, there are second chances, which for this is not to say that, like, it's a second chance that um, they all get to have, but, like, it's a sanctification of moments, right? The catching of Gwen Stacy, the prevention of murder. These are moments that are become holy, right, in the life of Peter because they're going to shape him for years to come. And so I think these are important themes. The future of Spider-Man, I don't know, actually, uh, what's going to happen from here. Will he tell mj eventually will she find out eventually will all that stuff be undone i mean because really even the avengers don't know who spider-man is right now and so it's going to be interesting to see what happens i mean tom holland very well may not sign another contract i mean he's like 25 26 if he does three more movies that'll take him well into his 30s and i don't think he wants to be acting in his 30s at least according to him um maybe that that'll change things like that maybe We'll get more Maguire movies. The Maguire movie that I've heard is that maybe he'll be the Spider-Man in the Venomverse, which will be interesting. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. Um, it'll be interesting to see um, where they go from here. I've heard as things as grandiose, like they're going to do four more movies, and in between each movie there's going to be a series. Um, I don't know if Maguire and Garfield will come back at all. Don't know if there'll be anything. I hope that they do. I really hope that Holland plays it for as long as, as he wants, uh, for, for as long as he can. Uh, he may not want to do it anymore. So, um, but you know, if he doesn't want to do it, then I, I don't feel like we should force him. And the thing that this movie hopefully brought out is that there are other Spider-Men that could take up the mantle. I think McGuire and, um, Garfield, like I think really enjoyed it. All the reports I've heard from the stage, they really enjoyed that ability to come back. And there's even rumors that we might get a Spider-Man four featuring McGuire and an amazing Spider-Man three featuring Garfield but again they're just rumors so who knows um but yeah um that's it um that's uh that's my review my spoiler heavy review of Spider-Man No Way Home um let me know what you thought uh, did you like what I had to offer or do you have different interpretations um I mentioned uh, my non-spoiler review that I have a ranking um Spider-Man No Way Home is number one it beats out Endgame for me um because it does satisfy those narratives I think that um, we see starting in 2002 up until the present. It's it's my favorite Marvel movie now. Um, that might change over time. I've seen it twice now, but after reviewing everything, I might try and um, go through like a like a genuine watch through the MCU and try and redo my list. But for right now, um, No Way Home is number one for me. Anyway, but those are my thoughts. Let me know what you think. Um, coming up on the the podcast as we kind of wrap up here. Um, I'm going to do another review of um, The Matrix Resurrections. I think it's a, it's a great movie. It came out right around the time as Spider-Man and, and is also streaming. And so like I'll, I, I want to watch that again just to see if I can catch everything. But um, we'll do a review of that. And then my MacGuffin, uh, which again, if you don't know what MacGuffin is, it's a, it's a device that helps move the plot forward. Um, and, and basically all that means for us is just, uh, it is a, a bit of content that moves us into some things we want to talk about. Not always art house stuff there, but some, maybe some passion stuff that me, me and Kyle have, but I will have one on Midnight Mass, which is a TV show, uh, which will be coming out in the next couple of weeks. And so you'll see that and hopefully a review of the Matrix Resurrections. Um, and then look for in January, Kyle and I will be doing a episode three of the art house road show uh where we will cover uh, the joker uh, but yeah reach out to us let us know what you think is there, is there something you would love to see us cover maybe something you'd love to see us review maybe you don't want to see a full episode of the podcast on but maybe just a review but anyway uh, i hope all of you are great i hope you have a wonderful wonderful christmas holiday and that uh, you are getting time with uh, people you care about and you get some uh, fun presents as well but bless you and be well stay safe uh, be kind to one another and we will see you next time and that's a wrap thank you for joining us on art house road show we'll see you next time